0: Folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, and we're here with the happy task of looking back at that offensive performance against the Texans in the divisional round. Made all the happier by Gordon McGinnis of PFF joining us for this game. Gordon, thanks so much for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule. Thank you for having me. Now, cold game this time. I thought we'd start out with that because you being from the UK. You ha- you're you no stranger to cold weather, to high winds, to, to, to some rain, as you would describe it. But we, uh, in terms of your experiences, you came over for the Mile High Miracle game uh in 2012, correct? Yes, that's right. Tell us a little bit about your experience and prep for that game. So
1: my prep for it probably stemmed from I was at the AFC Championship game the year before when they lost on the Billy Cundiff mess. And I showed up for that. I had like a pair of purple converse uh sneakers shoes whatever you want to call them and uh like couldn't feel the back half of my feet by the end of that game (laughs) so so my mom got me a a gift of like a pair of like really sturdy walking boots that i still have to this day um ahead of going to the next one but denver was like a different different level of cold um both, both of those like we get cold weather over here the cold I experienced at both of those games,
0: unlike anything I've experienced at a sporting event here in Scotland. All right, all right. So you guys play play football all the proper football all the way through the winter, right over there? It's, it's
1: yeah, like, we take we take like a very small break here in Scotland for like a week and a half. Um, but it's you know there's not really much stoppage. That's more just um, I think because we we tend to get like a bit of extra rain and stuff around this time as well.
0: Okay. All right. Well, very good. I'm 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 glad it didn't completely ruin the mile high miracle for you, but uh, that was that was the first game where I've really been on the verge of frostbite. So we had not. Let me think about this now. Yes, we had. We had learned the trick about standing on cardboard already, but we hadn't we hadn't moved over to the insulation, which is now what I use. By the way, I we took the squares of insulation. I've had them out there on Twitter the last couple of days. So if you if if you're listening to this show, you almost certainly have seen me doing that. I sat down on a piece of insulation for the whole game. No problem. I took, with two minutes to go, I, I, I pulled it out and Maureen put it back in the bag so we can take it home and use it for the next game. I sat back down on the seat. I'm sitting on a frozen rock <laughs> all of a sudden. It's just, it's a complete difference in terms of the, the feel. And you immediately feel it through, you know, four layers of, of clothing. So anyway, enough of that. We've got a great football team we're we're currently ruining on it devoa uh, has come out today with a weighted devoa number that puts the ravens at the very head of the class of their 40-year history in terms of through the divisional round uh the 85 bears uh in terms of of weighted devoa may have finished up better because they certainly finished that that uh, postseason uh well but uh, how do you do you have you started to go through the process of ranking this team among the great teams you've ever seen gordon
1: no, like not officially, like I've kind of done it in my head. I, I had someone ask me at the weekend, like how I compare it to previous Ravens teams, which I always think's funny because I, the, the defensive uh, team in 2000, I think that obviously historic, um, but the 2012 team, there's probably three, maybe four teams, Ravens teams, <laughs> that are more deserving of wearing a Super Bowl. And that's, oh, yeah. you know, single elimination in the NFL just um, throws those things out of there. But this this definitely is the best. If you include um like how good the offense is, you could make that a pretty strong case that it's the most um complete team they've ever had. Um, and I think you can say that pretty comfortably. So, you factor in that the the schematically they're very good on both sides of the ball, especially in defense. And then you add in the fact that you have out- a now or soon to be two time mvp playing quarterback so um it just it just makes it a very different proposition from from previous teams yeah
0: exciting uh certainly there's a uh you know the ravens are in rarefied air right now we need to appreciate this two-game stretch we're facing and gordon i know you got you got a lot riding on this afc championship game and it's not all money
1: no, uh, in fact, I, uh, I in fact I'll get onto the money side afterwards. But yeah, I am <laughs> I'm going to be I'm going to be in attendance in Las Vegas. Um, last year I got to go for the week uh, at PFF. We only got one spot at the game, uh, which I uh, assigned to Sam Monson. This year we got two, um, and I did a lot more writing this year. So it's me and Sam that are going to be in the stadium. So it means that for the first time I get to go and see the Super Bowl live in person. If the Ravens win this week. Uh, I'll get to see them play, which would be great because the first uh, the the game against Tennessee in London this year was the first uh, football game I'd been to since I think the mile high Miracle. Wow. Um so to get to to get to two Ravens games in the one season would be very nice. but on the on the money side of things, I am a very strong believer in emotional hedging, so I have wagered on the opposite side of that so that. Uh, I will still be incredibly disappointed if the Ravens don't win. I will at least have some sort of softening blow uh, to make my trip to Las Vegas a little bit better.
0: Okay, so you're you, you're betting on the game only the Chiefs, yes, to, to beat the Ravens, and so you're taking the three and a half. Boy, I don't like that bet. I really don't like that bet. I mean, it's it seemed incredibly low to me considering the 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 thing. But you're emotional hedging. You're you're, yes. you're paying. For, it's like buying Not-
1: insurance. Exactly. Exactly. I just, I just want something that makes it not, not the worst thing that's happened in my sport and life. Should it <laughs> happen?
0: <laughs> well, I, I think a lot of, a lot of Baltimore fans are going to feel like it is. Um, I think the fact that it's Patrick Mahomes and not. Hannah Hill that's knocking him out of the playoffs or, you know, the Titans in general with a, you know, physical team coming in in 2019 and doing it or that 2006 Colts team, even though that was a Manning team and they went to the Super Bowl and, and beat the bears, right. That they beat the bears that year. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. uh, it, you know, those, those two losses, they'll always have a place in Ravens history in terms of thinking back about the bad times. But for you, have has this last game, did it exercise a lot of those 2019 demons?
1: Yeah, it definitely did. And it's not, I, I think pretty much everyone watching that game would have had some level of nerves when the punt return happened yep. because it felt a little bit like, and then, you know, what followed right before the half with the pressure that got to Lamar, a little bit like, okay, here we go. The, this is what we've seen before. And I I also find this not not just from the team perspective, but... I feel so emotionally invested in Lamar Jackson because he was the 32nd overall pick and all all the outside noise and what everyone said about him in his career, most of which is complete nonsense. But I feel almost this like protective sense of just wanting him to have success to shut those people up. And I was talking to a friend before, uh, like in the lead up to the game and not a Ravens fan, but he said like, I just want to see Lamar go out there and have like a huge game. And I was like, yeah, that's like, it's exactly what I want. So that, that was a very nice part of it. I think was the, the fact to exercise those demons in that sense as well.
0: Now, let me, let me actually ask you a difficult question on this. Cause as a, a, a PFF cut, your to the head of content at PFF. Now I know that that makes you a little bit separate from the grading people directly in terms of, in terms of that, but do you think, PFF has has a role that they played in the non-recognition of Lamar's value because whether you're talking to Eric Eager or Tim Ariska or whoever you talk to they'll all tell you they cannot fully recognize Lamar's value within the grading system as it stands now.
1: Yeah, I think so I, I don't know if we have a role to play in in that or if it is just it that's just naturally kind of the way the way people are but I definitely think the, the grading system because it's not a quarterback specific thing, but because a lot of the things like linebacker play, for example, uh, in coverage it's target based. So it's not, and, and we do stuff behind the scenes. It's just not built into the grading based on certain um, things that we're not able to do. Uh, like a lot of the, the kind of target based nature of that stuff means that the grades are more of a, a kind of like active grade rather than things yep. that are happening around about. And for, Ninety-nine percent of the quarterbacks in the NFL, and probably ninety percent of quarterback snaps in the NFL, those kind of within the parameters of quarterback play sum everything up perfectly. But there are, for most quarterbacks, a handful of plays that are kind of out with that, where it's the intangibles, it's the, you know, avoiding pressure and you know finding that dump off that goes a certain distance. And for for Lamar, a lot of it is just. You can't quantify the impact he has on the defensive scheme. The extra yeah. pressure you have to you have to focus on that. And it's you know, we'll talk about Lamar's runner later on. Him and Josh Allen are both really good runners at the quarterback position, but Josh Allen is a very good runner who is tough to tackle. Lamar Jackson is someone who you have to build your defensive scheme around the fact that he can run, which is a very different proposition, I think.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, that's great. It's it is it is something. If if you're looking at all of the contributions that PFF has made to the analysis of football, I think the, the biggest contributions are in grading offensive linemen. Where honestly, the 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 regressive nature of media viewing of offensive line was just based on who won the who went to the Pro Bowl last year, yes. you know, who who was. Anyway, all, all of that stuff and all of the seven, eight, nine consecutive all pro seasons that people had at, at various positions, it's not even really their linebacker, a lot of the defensive spots, um, you know, just they didn't make a lot of sense. And and today they wouldn't happen because PFF would grade players down for you would know, have more be more understood the week-to-week variation in play and and certainly the season-to-season variation in play, particularly due to injuries. Uh, and I think that's been a great thing. I think Marshall Yonda will be one of the first guys to go into the Hall of Fame that is truly a PFF, a um, product of PFF getting him there. So I don't know that he would have done it without it. I think he probably needed constant reminders on a weekly basis from PFF grading that that he belongs there
1: the big the big thing for offensive linemen I remember this was one of the first things Neil Hornsby Neil Hornsby told me about it and it was that he would find that uh, offensive linemen who were first round picks were Pretty much guaranteed to be voted in as Pro Bowlers because there was just this assumption that, you know, I don't know much about offensive linemen, so this guy went in the first round; he must be good. And he even found anecdotal stuff like guys that had longer hair, you know, that had like a <laughs> flowing blonde mane out the back, or that had dreadlocks and coming out the back of the helmet. It would make them more noticeable, and those guys would would get voted into um, into the Pro Bowl and things like that more often. So, and I, I think one of one of the things I'm probably most proud of being at PFF on the Marshall Yanda discussion is I love that we can have a discussion about not only he is a Hall of Fame offensive lineman, but we can actually point to a season and say if he'd stuck at right tackle for his entire career, that would have probably still been the case.
0: Yep. Yeah, Certainly a remarkable year for him at right tackle uh that year. And you know, the fact that PFF was around meant a lot of national media were actually picking up on the fact that he'd had a great year. I I don't remember who it was who specifically played. Uh, I think that it was Peter, I mean, King. Think Peter, Peter King.
1: Peter a, I think Peter King had him as I think Peter King had him as his all-pro right tackle or something like yeah. that
0: that year. Well, great uh, uh, great stuff, certainly. Let's, well, let's talk about the offensive line quickly here since we're there. Uh, one of the best games I thought they had collectively. I didn't think Simpson had a particularly good game. But other than that, I thought they, they played pretty well across the board. And certainly having Stanley and Moses come together with the two games they had here, really great timing.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely think this was this was the best they'd looked as a unit, um, at least as far as I can remember this season. And Stanley had, I think, his best game of the year so far. So yep. good all round.
0: Yeah, easy, pretty easy call there. I'd say. Um, you know, the other thing that is is talked about a lot in terms of this game is the halftime adjustments. And I, you know, there's certain things I I noticed in terms of the second half and the ball out quickly. On those first couple of plays, in particular, but there's some there's some stats that really back that up in terms of the first half versus the second half differentiation. Um, what do you think was the you know the biggest adjustment maybe on each side of the ball that you saw in the second half?
1: Yeah, the the big thing was how quickly they got out of the ball. I looked at this on Sunday morning because it it felt pretty uh, extreme while watching the game live. But the first half, they averaged three point nine seconds time to throw which that includes um time to scramble and also time to sack mm-hmm. and 83.3 percent of their dropbacks were two and a, 2.6 seconds or higher mm-hmm. that number dropped to 36 percent in the second half and the average was 2.5 and it just it felt so much more in rhythm in the second half mm-hmm. um and then i i don't i don't know i didn't wouldn't necessarily say i'd picked up on any massive um defensive adjustment in the second half but I, I just think overall it was a, a tremendous defensive performance whereby I, I said to someone on Sunday or Monday, I can't remember which now because, uh, well, it must have been Sunday because it wasn't today. Um, all days kind of blend into one until yep. we get through the end of the football season. Uh, I think that's probably the best defensive performance that I can remember. And this is a hell hell of a caveat to have in a game where a team didn't have a sack and didn't force a turnover. Yep.
0: I've looked back for that exact same question because it came up from a from a reader and, I, and uh, uh, the 2000 team didn't have any such game and they only had 30 some sacks. They only had two where they didn't have a sack and they had turnovers all over the place. So, you know, those two games were slathered with like three and one, I believe. And this team has not had a game without a sack until this one. So there's no it, it, the number of games like that. Are so rare. I think that's one of those comments that almost has a charlatan like quality to it. That if somebody thinks, wow, that's an incredible, well, you know, it's six games or something. And, you know, yeah. this is a game where they gave up three defensive points. Fantastic, fantastic game, though. Yeah, I agree. Uh uh and, and I don't mean to call you a charlatan there. It's just it's, no, no, in no. Major, it's but, the best kind of charlatanry Yeah, you can, it, <laughs> it, is,
1: it is such a such an extreme caveat to put on something because yeah. generally those two things are um very key to good defensive performances.
0: Now, Buffalo and Kansas City. So we're going into Sunday night. Who were you looking for? Uh who did you want to play in, in Baltimore?
1: Ever so slightly the Chiefs. And I, and I think probably like 51% to 49 So So uh, I, I think it's still going to be an incredibly tough test. But the one thing I thought watching the game, of all the things this defense has faced all year, I don't know that they've faced a quarterback who could give them problems in the running game like Josh Allen could. They also run a lot more uh, gap runs with James Cook. And that's where the Ravens defense has struggled a little bit more this year, I think. So the combination of that just made me a little bit wary of you know, they have they have plays where they're going to be able to cover cover people for a good amount of time. Josh Allen's going to be someone who can break free from pressure and can, you know, scramble up the middle and very tough to bring down. So that that gave the slight edge. I will say, as soon as the game ended, I was immediately nervous because I think Patrick Mahomes has strung together a Pair of pretty incredible games, um, and is just not making mistakes. So, uh,
0: it certainly is by no means uh, an easy proposition. He's through the road game. Uh, now, the game is not all about Patrick Mahomes. Um, certainly, if it's about Taylor Swift now, which I'm not very happy about. <laughs> but it's uh, you know, it's it's also um, the offensive line for the Chiefs now. Maybe without Joe Tooney. Do you do you have an update on that? Do you
1: have no, the 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 last I saw was he was going for an MRI, um, which would be huge um, because he's been one of the best pass blocking guards in football this year. So that would be a pretty big loss for them.
0: Be a three tech nightmare for the chiefs going either way, either, either way the Ravens may line it up, but uh, uh, certainly lots of good opportunities to, to bomb both those a gaps, both those B gaps. When you, when you don't have good guards, you're in a lot of trouble. You're just in a lot of trouble. Uh, all right. Uh, so we talked a little bit about that. How about the secondary for the chiefs? Obviously the secondary for the bills was one of the reasons to like the bills in this game. And Rasul Russell Douglas came back and played that game, but Benford was still sat out and Bernard Harris, the linebacker still out. Uh, now, do you know anything about Gay's injury and whether or not he, cause he could be a, a significant spy force against Lamar.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen any updates in either of those injuries. Um, I think the Chiefs defense overall was much healthier. Um, but I think they what they had two injuries, was it Mike Edwards as well? I think his was a concussion, I think I um heard while watching the game. Um so yeah, so that'll be things to monitor kind of throughout the week.
0: All right. People haven't been coming back from concussions in one week nearly as often this year. No. But I have a, I have a feeling it's gonna be different for the for an FC championship but, game
1: playoffs i think for as much as the nfl has put a, a focus on player safety and i think you, know, you can be critical of the nfl for a lot i think you probably have to commend some of the work they've done there I, in the playoffs players are going to push more to want to be playing teams are going to push more for them to be playing and it gets a little bit harder to to make sure those things happen mm-hmm.
0: all right uh some other things we need to talk about the, the ravens outsnapped houston 67 to 47 in this game i i yeah i know there have been st- Studies done, and I put that in quote in air quotes, that show that it doesn't really matter if you if you out snap your opponent, your defense doesn't really benefit from it very much. you, you heard that said; it doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it, especially up front, right? Like especially on the on the defensive line, on the interior for by. If you I, I don't know, maybe it's one of those things that. um it's like a cause and effect thing yep. that if you're being out snapped you're being run on more so you're being tired up front because you're being run on more rather than you know it doesn't actually make your defense fresher and all those things but to me it doesn't really make a ton of sense
0: it it, it doesn't make any sense to me at all either and and one of the one of the things false causality comes up all the time in these kind of things but there, there could be many different counter-currents. You've mentioned one possible, uh, you know, one that it could be, but it could be that the, um, you know, the team that's, that's uh, uh, losing snap count is also having to throw and, and yeah. have some, it could be, it could be a, a, a lot of things that, that could cause this thing to occur. And, and uh, you're just losing the, losing the point there. Uh, the Ravens red zone performance in this game. Probably one of the biggest things to me, obviously the biggest thing, zero out of zero in the red zone for the Texans. Gotta love that. I,
1: did I see correctly that the the Texans didn't cross the Ravens' 25-yard line?
0: I believe that to be correct. Not a snap inside the 25.
1: That's an incredible statistic for a playoff game, especially given the fact that... Now, I know... Anyone that follows the Ravens know that they were on a different level in the Cleveland Browns defense. And the Browns defense on the road was not the same as it was at home. But for Stroud to do what he did to the Browns defense and then the following week not be able to cross the Ravens' 25-yard line, it's just it just highlights again just how good that performance was.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's it, a, it's a really good point. It's really good also to see the Ravens themselves uh, turn their own performance around the red zone. They've been kind of mediocre since the first 12 out of 15 start in the red zone through, I think that was about when they went to, went to the game in London and they went one for six, uh, but they, but they had, had not been, you know, not been outstanding for most of the season, other than that, that the first stretch and now this four to five in this game. It's it's uh, absolutely terrific to see. Obviously all of it is a lot better than the 44% last year, which had a lot of Tyler Huntley in there to, to be fair. But what, what I thought was exceptional in this game was a lot of the run blocking in the red zone was just out of this world
1: yeah the the run blocking and also it was a very lamar focused um red zone scheme mm-hmm. three of the touchdowns the the fake quarterback sweep with the toss to likely the two lamar jackson runs it was all very focused on let's let's put the ball in number eight's hand and let him do his thing
0: uh, series success rate. Another thing that has gone well, we've been talking about this for a lot of the year, but they went 22 out of 28. Every time, meaning every time they got a first down, they got a subsequent first down or touchdown 22 of 28 times. That's 78.6%. That would lead the league in most years. So, you know, even though they certainly had the troubles in the first half moving the ball a little bit and 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 had to punt on occasion, that overall number is outstanding. And I think one of the things that Houston fans are really talking about Today and yesterday is how the Ravens could not be gotten off the field when they were on offense in that second half. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Ravens made their only fourth down attempt. I thought that was probably one of the biggest plays of the game. I, I, did you like the call at the time? And then tell us a little bit about the play from your perspective.
1: Uh, I loved the call and I loved um, the play design as well. I I honestly thought they should have gone earlier in the game as well when they kicked the field goal. Mm-hmm. Um, I get why, get why they didn't, but... The, the thing I really liked about going for it is that the Ravens have been one of the least aggressive teams in the league on fourth down this year. And I think it's for two reasons, I think it's important. Two reasons why I think it's it's notable. One, I think there probably is a regression from the over-aggressive Ravens teams that we saw in previous years because it didn't work out for them quite a lot. And I think naturally, if it doesn't work out for you a lot, you're going to regress a little bit away from that just because I think that's human nature. The other part, though, is, and I, this is the part that every time I see someone tweet it and say, What happened to Harbaugh's Ravens? This Ravens team does not need to go for it in fourth down as much as they previously did. In the playoffs, maybe a little bit different, but they're building 14 point leads. They're heavy favourites. And one of the maybe I'm not correct about this because I, you know, I'm not 100% on everything when it comes to analytics, but. The biggest thing for me when I think about analytics and going for it on fourth down, going for two-point conversions, is that if you are the underdog, you are creating variance by doing that. And there's a reason you're the underdog. (laughs) So the Ravens are not the underdog. So you, you actually don't want variance. You want to keep this game script going as normal. So if you fail, all of a sudden it's a short field. It's like a turnover. So that's why they're not going for it as much as previous teams.
0: This is a topic very near and dear to my heart and most of the people that, f- fans of this show have been hearing me talk about all year basically that when you're the decidedly better team you want to heap less variance into a few plays and take a gamble on that i have currently a wharton um risk professor ben baldwin <laughs> and and other actuarial friends up my rear end telling me you can't, you can't think of it that way because each result is a one or a zero. And I'm, I'm thinking it's not the, the individual result. It's the sum of the results. When you know there's four or five, six of these in a game, and they don't necessarily have to come down to decisions on going forward on downing distance. It could be other things about play selection and other things. But you're making a, a host of gambles that are involved in a football game. Um, there is a distribution of those six outcomes and you don't want one outcome to dominate all the others. And so I'm, I'm having a hard time kind of articulating this in mathematical terms, but I'll, I'll toss the people out there. There's other people who, who know a lot about math and I'm a Howard in the math world because I, I, I'm just a, a plain actuary. You know, it's a, it's a trade profession from that perspective in terms of really understanding mathematics. There's a lot of theoretical mathematicians who are way ahead of me. I would love to do one of two things. Either I get a mathematical proof that says that's the way it works, and I'll work my way through it, I'll model, I'll try to understand it, or I give you a counterexample that is robust in nature, and hopefully you either then have to uh, re-script the nature of this or at least admit that the counterexample that I give isn't really covered by the model. So that's that's where I think the, the, the thing is. But it's it, it, there's two sides of this. One could be rigorous proof and the other thing could be counterexample. I think it has to be resolved that way. But I, I, right now, I agree with you completely, Gordon, in terms of what you've just said. It makes complete sense to me. Um, and I think we see it in all through our society in things like insurance and in your emotional hedging. That is an example yes. of, of us not wanting all of that risk heaped into one event. It's it's it permeates our so society. And, I, yeah.
1: I I did not place a bet on anyone the Ravens were playing against in the regular season because there was no real value in yeah. you know it it doesn't really help me massively on the on the flip side of it. But now both playoff games. The emotional side of it is devastating if they lose. So I've balanced that against something there. I also think, so the, the flip side of this where, I, and I'm not saying that we are definitely right on this. That's just where my my opinion on it goes. But you often hear commentators talk about um, whether or not someone should go for two or go for it in fourth down. And they'll say, oh, but what? There was, there was a quote this year, I think, during Monday Night Football, and I think it was Troy Aikman. And he said, what the analytics doesn't take into account is Drew Locke. And everyone thought it was hilarious because it was, you know, this. I, obviously, what it means is that you you have a backup quarterback. Yep. I don't necessarily agree with that because when you have a backup quarterback, you are in the negative side of the thing. So creating more variance there actually probably does help you. But this is just one whereby if you are a strong, heavy favorite, I just don't think you need to create that additional variance. Now, may, may, maybe, <laughs> may, maybe it is wrong, like in the sense that, you know, you could have – you could last week the Ravens could have ran into the best that the Texans have played all year so the spread effectively is wrong because the spread hasn't you know figured out that the Texans are going to play the best they are but I do think you just have to approach it from what is the information I have in front of me and the information I have in front of me says we're we're 10 points better than that team so I don't need to create this unless it's a situation whereby the risk is dropped a little bit and the benefit is
0: even greater Well, completely agree. And uh, it's interesting, you know, you mentioned this. I wonder if this is a particularly British thing, but I've heard I've certainly certainly heard of Americans doing it, too. But you, you you know, people from the UK, your your society, I have to describe this differently because you've got bookies on every corner, pretty much so much of your economy runs through gambling. Uh, relative to the United States, say even where gambling is very prevalent now too, but it certainly it's built up over about the last thirty years in terms of a lot of the Indian casinos and more states allowing gambling than just Nevada. Um, but but it, does this permeate thinking of a lot of people from the UK? Do you think as well?
1: I, I have a few friends who like we would happily bet happily bet against the thing we want to happen in a high value situation. I, I've I've bet on the England men and women's football teams soccer teams winning tournaments because as someone from scotland if they win a tournament i'm gonna to have to hear about it for like four years so so if i'm gonna to have to hear about it for six years at least give me 500 pounds to make it you know soften the ball a little bit
0: and you weren't born in 1966 yet so you yeah. haven't gotten the payoff on that world cup yet <laughs> okay i guess. <get> <laughs> All right, well, terrific. <laughs> That's great stuff. Um, let's see. Let's look at the the Ravens' overall run and pass. 42 run, 25 pass in this game. Some of it weather-driven, um, probably a little bit anyway, and some of it script-driven that the, the Ravens are just ready to get the game over with. I thought they did a marvelous job of jamming it right down their throats. You know, as the game went on, obviously their yards per carry dropped off significantly in the second half Um, once Cook got running the ball a little bit and had some of his negative plays and his other plays. It didn't work along with the one that did. Um, But I, I thought, you know, it, it's a very good sign when your offense can just pound the hell out of out of the team when they know it's coming. Yeah, I, just
1: that whole, the whole game, it felt like they were going to be able to run the ball well. And I think to have a game where you rush for 229 yards but you don't have the 50-yard run in there. It's just, you know, the average might not have been um, where it was in the second half, but you're still churning out enough to get there. And that was what my big concern with the Ravens coming out in the playoffs was, without Keaton Mitchell, there isn't the guy that turns, you know, the 30-yard gain into a touchdown. I think a 40-yard run is probably where the Ravens running backs are probably capped at. I think even, you know, and that's from like their own 20-yard line. It probably gets run down a little bit the other side of the field. Uh, but I mean, the difference a lot of the time is to, to not be overly simplistic. It's having Lamar Jackson at quarterback and putting linebackers in a bind, putting opposing defense in a bind and then having running backs that can barrel forwards. The The idea, I, I talked to a friend about this during the game, being a linebacker in the NFL or being a, a box safety, and you're going up against the Ravens uh, offense, and you have Lamar Jackson, who mentally must be just exhausted because you're having to watch him the whole time. And then they hand the ball off to Gus Edwards, who if Gus Edwards gets two yards from his offensive line he's getting five yards because he's getting the extra three you get he doesn't need a big run-up he just needs those two yards so now all of a sudden as a linebacker I'm exhausted mentally I'm getting exhausted physically because they just run straight at me and just barrel me over it's it's not a fun position to play in the NFL these Mm -hmm. days when you're in that situation
0: and you show any weakness and they'll, they'll continue to run the ball at you, obviously, whether, whether it's mental or physical doesn't even matter. Um, and that's something baseball players are often accused of sometimes is everybody looks like they don't want the ball hit to them. Well, in baseball, there's a lot more control from the pitcher and whatnot, in terms of making that not actually happen. And some from the batter as well, obviously. And, and some from where players are positioned relative to the handedness of the, of, of the batter, obviously. So all, all of that plays a role, but the uh, in football, you can't avoid. I mean, the you know one one thing that defensive coordinators will say is you know if you have a weakness out there, they will find that guy, and it's often in coverage they they mean when they're talking about the linebacker who can't really cover, or the, the or your cornerback who is just way below your other star cornerback. Um, but anyway, it's uh, it, it's uh, it, it, it's an interesting point you're making about the linebacker getting mentally and physically exhausted at the same time.
1: It, it's tough, and yeah, on, on your point there about weakness, I I thought exactly of that the the Lions-Bucks game this week mm-hmm. where um, Hill was playing 80% presenting sta- snaps for the Bucks instead of Devin White. And the first time I saw Devin White on the field, and I don't know this was his coverage, but the first time I saw him on the field was a Lions touchdown in the back of the end zone where he was covering the middle of the field. Um, as soon as he was on the field, the Lions were entirely going to uh, roughly just in behind him.
0: Yeah. I, I even wonder if some of that comes up at the line of scrimmage, they probably have to probably call that stuff into the huddle because it's the offensive coordinator is going to be in the best position to see that kind of thing, or some sort of quality control coach who's watching the other team's personnel get put on the field. But I I would think also a quarterback sometimes, you know, if you can, if, if Tom Brady wears on his wristband, find 20 on every play, there's no reason why you can't find Devin White's number. (laughs) All right. All right, let's move on. Talk a little bit about Lamar here. Um, This was one of the most extreme blitz-heavy games that I've ever observed as a football analyst. 21 of 25 dropbacks that Lamar had, and that does not include his scrambles, the ones that resulted in a passer sack. 21 of 25 uh, were five-plus rushing. Never seen anything like it, 84%.
1: I find it a little bit strange as well, because am I not right in saying that Lamar's actually, this season, been better against the blitz than he has in previous seasons
0: i i have heard that and i haven't really tracked it closely it's in the articles it's not been something i've looked at week after week because not a lot of teams go after lamar with five very often uh they they sometimes come with a delayed five that's something i know cleveland and cincinnati bring occasionally but a lot of teams go for a, a high percentage of the game yeah uh, anyway, Lamar was 14 of 18 on those throws, but only for 4.3 net yards per play with three sacks in there. With a four-man rush, he was three of four for 32 yards, eight yards per play. They never never tried a three against him. So, um, and, and none of that, you know, one of the things you look at Lamar's passing stats
2: for this game, you kind of lose the impact of his... Hey, guys, I want to tell you about the Eufy Video Lock because when I'm not podcasting, I am. My day job is a smart home specialist. And the Eufy Video Smart Lock is perfect this is what you guys need to go get it replaces the deadbolt on your door so now you can come home without fumbling with keys you can just type in a code or even better use your fingerprint to unlock after one second you put your finger there pops out my door's open it's perfect it also is an integrated video doorbell we've all seen the video doorbells we all know the ones that are out there i've seen many of them get stolen No one's gonna steal this, because it's your door lock. It's impossible for them to steal. There's no monthly fee. Other ones do. But this one, it'll record locally, so you never have to pay if you don't want to. The battery, it lasts up to four months. Plus, it notifies you ahead of time. And I mentioned earlier, one second fingerprint recognition. No, I meant one second till it opens. The AI self-learning chip will learn your fingerprint Even faster, and then it opens up completely keyless entry, no more keys. And I know I set this up as I'm a smart home specialist, but anyone can install this. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, that's it, and then you're done. Guys, I love this product. Make sure you check it out. Now, here's the easiest thing to do just go on to Google or whatever you prefer and search Yuffie. Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com forward slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door just like me, just like Ken.
0: scrambling which obviously was enormous yeah huge it, it uh,
1: the i tweeted this on sunday if a quarterback went out there and threw for 252 yards and had four passing touchdowns and no interceptions we would not need to have any sort of referendum on how good he is at the quarterback position <laughs> but after the after that game it's like oh lamar only passed for 152 yards and the ravens won the game like this is different and it's it the yards all count
0: Yeah, I was was trying to get his scrambles together while you're talking here, but he had four scrambles for 48 in this. I mean, really, if you're looking at the sacks, combine those sacks with the four scrambles for 48, and you still got a positive yardage total on his forced not to pass plays. Okay, so you you, you combine those. That's that's not particularly common. The average is probably right around zero in the NFL. There's a lot of quarterbacks who've been uh, negative for full years. Jackson in 2019, 5.1 yards per play when forced not to pass. which That was beyond absurd, (laughs) but but it's pretty cool. All right, ATS, BOQ, and pressure. Let's have a little talk about this because this was, Lamar did not make the best of his opportunity set in this game, so it would be fairly stated. Eight times he had ample time and space, more than a three-second pocket or had a three-second pocket that would have held up for that time. 32% of the time, that's a good number of ATS opportunities, but with below average results at 7.0 yards per play. Now, you kind of Pull this together with what you observed about his first half, time to throw, maybe.
1: Yeah, the just even anecdotally, as I was watching the game, the whole first half it felt like in my head I was saying, get the ball out. Get the ball out. Get it. The there just there didn't feel like there was rhythm there. It felt like drop back to pass, wait and see if anything comes open wait a little bit longer, and then scramble. Whereas as the game went on, it was drop back to pass. Is anyone open? No, move. Or drop back to pass. Is anyone open? Yes, ball out. The whole thing just had so much more rhythm.
0: The game really reminded me a lot of the Miami game from a couple of years ago. I guess it was 21 on the Thursday night, that miserable freaking 40-cover-zero looks that they (laughs) threw at him. Um, It it basically was, we're going to keep doing this until you prove you can beat it. And it took that halftime adjustment. And I'll, I'll go through this real quick. In the first half, they rushed five. And I'm going to, I, I could include the threes in there. The, the, the number wouldn't be much different. But they, they rushed five six times in the first half. Lamar had one net yard on those plays, two sacks for a total of 16, one out of four for 17 yards in, in terms of passing. The second half, he was five of five for 63 yards. With, uh, uh, with a five-plus man rush. So they did figure it out at halftime. And I think you, we've seen videos of Monken today approaching a, 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 somebody in the crowd and saying, I'm glad we played for 60 minutes instead of 30. <laughs> uh, let's move on. Ball out quick. Uh, eight times of those. Also, also obviously, 32%. 7.4 yards per play on those. That was a lot of what happened that was really good in the second half was, was ball out quick. He had a couple in the first half as well. But... um. Primarily, uh, that was what was, uh, what, what was truly exceptional. And uh, 7.4 yards per play on BOQ is good. I'd say six yards is about average. For a ATS, I'd want around nine yards per play would be a, a typical. And for a pressure, three to three and a half is maybe normal. And the Ravens defense has done even better than that in terms of uh, holding other teams down with pressure this year. But uh, uh, with the ball out quickly, anything specifically about what the Ravens did you'd like to talk about? I I don't know
1: necessarily just about this game, but any time I think about them getting the ball out quickly, I kind of immediately think about uh Kurt Warner's criticisms. And and I think Kurt Warner has has had very fair analysis of the Ravens offense throughout the year whereby he's been critical at points, but he's also praised the scheme. He's pretty much um throughout the year praised Lamar for what he's done. But one of the things he was most critical of at, at various points throughout the year was uh like receivers not being open quickly like and schematically it's guys you know they're Mm -hmm. pushing guys further down there's no quick routes to get anyone open um and when you saw a lot of the uh, the replays in the first half that's what i think the issue was the receivers were not there and they weren't open so it felt like in the second half they were getting receivers open quicker they were i think he actually had a higher average depth of target in the second half but it felt like there was a lot more um, quick short passes to try and get things open there so that's what it felt like to me
0: yeah, depth of target for the game was a pretty good relationship. Six point nine average depth of target. Sorry, sorry, six point nine completed yards and seven point six um, average depth of target. He didn't throw a lot of long balls in this game. Most of most of the stuff that he was successful is with between ten and twenty yards, um, and, and and some of the shorter stuff as well. But it's it uh, you know I think I think that bears to your bears out your point pretty well. And the completion percentage over expectation coming in at six point one percent. It was the second best of the divisional round. It was something that, that um, I would have necessarily thought was true being at the game and emotionally reacting to, to the passes individually. I would have thought it was probably not that good. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, what else we got to say? 1.1 yards per play with pressure. Ten times they pressured him. That is a lot. 40%. Um, and it, it's not a good um, result either at 1.1. A three or three and a half is normal, I would say, certainly for Jackson. The Ravens' defense, by the way, I promise you that, number 2.3 yards per play they've allowed this year when they pressured opponents. And that includes a ton of sack yards, obviously, in there, but yeah, still yeah. exceptionally good. Um, let's see. I think we talked about time to throw enough. We don't need to go back there. I, I guess Maybe let's talk about The Blitz was successful, obviously, this year. Kansas City has had a great pass rush this year. What do you expect from them in terms of the Blitz next week? I think it's going to be really interesting to see
1: if they do what Houston did, at least at the start of the game, and say, we're going to do this until you can show that you can stop us. They also, they might not need to Blitz. I think almost more important than blitzing is going to be lining Chris Jones up as close to John John Simpson as you can um that's the biggest mismatch that the Chiefs have on defense versus the Ravens offense I think um so if they can cause some problems there then um you know they can try and spy Lamar and try and prevent those things but they've been good on defense as well not to the same level the Ravens have um but they have the players that can cause uh problems and going back to the the Kansas City or Buffalo question that was probably the kind of like two sides of the coin you would rather go up against Josh Allen than Mahomes as good as Josh Allen been this year. Um, sorry, you'd rather go up against Mahomes as good as he's been historically because Josh Allen's rushing ability, but you would rather go up against the Bills' defense because the injuries they've had, whereas the Chiefs' defense, I think, is at uh, a higher level.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's certainly a concern. With the way that Simpson has been targeted um, recently, and it and seems like the last six games, um, teams are really figuring it out. Um, he's had six consecutive games in the D slash F range. Um, as I've, as I've scored it, I'm sure PFF has been similar in terms of their, their aggregate over the period. Um, is it time to make a change? Because Ben Cleveland is there. He's played reasonably well in the time he's had. He, he's the only, the only other option. And he has played
1: well enough that like, I would be, I would be open to seeing it. Uh, The the, the Cleveland question that always lingers in my head is, what is it that the coaches are seeing that they just don't feel comfortable with him being out there? Because it, it feels like he is a better option. So the coaches who have got pretty much every other decision right, there must be something that makes them think he's not the guy who can play 60 plus snaps for us a game.
0: It, it recently Harbaugh has openly praised Simpson in a way he hadn't done in basically the last two years since he showed up fat after his wedding um, last not, not in the twenty two camp, okay, and he basically been the doghouse as far as I can tell that entire time. Uh, they really haven't gotten him on the field very much. When they have, it's as a sixth offensive lineman. It's as a you know a few snaps here, a few snaps there as a backup. But he actually played as a rookie more than he had in the last two years combined. Yep. So in in when we and I think that's true maybe maybe I'm wrong about that but I believe that to be true that he played several games as a rookie and he didn't really see action the last two years.
1: Yeah, that's right. We've got him uh, 367 as a as a rookie, 95 last year and 170, including the playoffs this year.
0: Okay. So he's is 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 still slightly behind in in those terms. I thought they might do it. I mean, obviously the big thing with with Cleveland is he's not the polar that Simpson is, but Simpson's got to hang his hat entirely on that. And it's not an area of strength for him. I mean, Simpson has some uh, decision-making issues, I believe in terms of picking a target that you don't see from a Morgan Moses, who's a decidedly slower player, but just much more decisive about who he's going to block uh, when pulling.
1: Yeah. I I think there's, you know, there's a reason why teams are going after um, Simpson. Um, And I mean, realistically, it's the only true weakness I think the Ravens have on offense right now. I think the other two like, small weaknesses they have is the lack of a home run threat at running back. And they have good wide receivers. They don't have a true number one wide receiver. So those are two like smaller issues. But Simpson's the one whereby if things can break down and go wrong and you can have one play that really goes against you, that's where the most likely um, problem's going to occur.
0: Right. And, you know, you, you mentioned, like, what could possibly be going through their minds that they don't want to try a change? I mean, Simpsons continued penalties, which are, you know, at a at an absurdly high level, both in Las Vegas and now here. Basically, he's matched his production a, a, in both places. And uh, I don't I just I don't get it. I don't I, I didn't think the Ravens picked him up. And I expected the Ravens thought this is Las Vegas coaching. They messed him up. He's got a million excuses. We're going to cut out the excuses. We're going to put him through this Sala grinder where he has to, we have to pretend like Sala is going to really be our left guard to start the year. He's going to have to adjust to that. He's going to have to cut his penalties. Uh, He's got to to face his his own problems and demons and whatnot. And uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think you can say the project has worked at this point. I think we'd have to say it's, uh, you know, I know we, we do have differences between PFF and, and, and my system in terms of how serious penalties are, but particularly the post-snap penalties, which are a hefty share of Simpsons, are very serious because they also give the defense the option to take it or not. So it's it's the 10 yards or the worst event if that's what they'd like to happen.
1: Yeah, and and like according to our Um, grading system I think he's comfortably the Ravens weakest offensive lineman um, so far this year and the only one that I think you can say is not really playing at starter level um, quality everyone else everyone else is to be fair everyone else is probably above just starter level quality but he is the guy who is kind of below that replacement level which makes it just feels very unlikely they're going to make a change this late in the year but there are two three times a game maybe even more that I think everyone probably finds themselves asking that question.
0: Yeah, it just some of the circumstances seem very similar to 2012 when they did make the big three-position switcheroo right before the playoffs, and I, I'm just, I'm shocked. I'm, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm shocked, that's not correct word. I'm some, I'm mildly surprised they have not made a change, even though, you know, Offensive line in general, PFF rates them as one of the higher graded offensive lines across the league. Right when you do your rankings articles and whatnot,
1: yeah, I think they were. I think at the end of the regular season they were fifth.
0: Okay, I will. I
1: will say I think most people when they see that think, "Well, that feels high" because I don't feel the Ravens' offensive line has been good this year, at the risk of upsetting um, offensive line experts, offensive line play in the NFL. As a, as a team unit whole, this year feels like it's taken a, a pretty comfortable step back. You still have key players being really, really good, but there aren't many really good offensive lines. So the Ravens having, you know, four guys who are good enough and then one guy who's not, all of a sudden actually is one of the best lines in football in the in the landscape.
0: Yeah, I, I I I agree with that statement. Generally speaking, I and mean, I'm I'm a little more down on D- Ronnie Stanley than other people because he's had a lot of penalties this year, and obviously he's not been Ronnie Stanley. Um, but I think right now, you know, given where he was, I'm very happy with 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 going into going into this next game with Kansas City with him. But the other thing I'd say is that almost every other team in the league is working with a patchwork offensive line at this point. They've got they've got injuries. You know, at one or two spots, a lot of the time, some some teams are down three linemen, and they're really playing backups now this year. I mean, just played a, a Texans team that had Juice Scruggs at left guard. Uh, that that could not have been by choice.
1: No, they they liked Scruggs enough to take him what in the second round, um, but he was someone who we had as a guy coming in the league who was pretty raw, so um, not a guy that I think you desperately want to be playing a lot of snaps early on.
0: All right, good stuff. We'll get back to some more offensive line talk in the second half. Uh, Let's talk a little bit other scheme issues. Uh, The Ravens' backfield snaps uh, shifted a little bit. Hill now up to 39 snaps. Obviously, they wanted to use him some as a pass blocker in this game, but also as a runner. Uh, Gus down to 23 snaps. I haven't heard anything since the game about the potential for him to be injured, but he kind of looked like he's holding his arm funny when he went off the field.
1: There there was one point early on in the game where it did look like he, he was injured early on. Um, so it's definitely gonna be something to keep an eye on. Um, there.
0: I, I think this was actually late. Maybe I'm wrong. I didn't I don't remember him returning after his arm dangling off funny. The Raven sidelines on the other side of the field from us. And you know, he walked off right down the forty yard line or so. So the Ravens were on the on the on their own side of the field at the time this, this was this is happening. And he definitely looked like he was his arm was hanging. Now that could be a stinger, it could be, you know, just got a bruise or whatever, but hopefully there's no serious injury there because the Ravens really don't have anybody to replace him at this point.
1: Yeah. All right, I'm just having a quick look just now. Yeah, so his last snap was eleven forty seven. I thought he looked a little bit dinged up before then, but maybe I'm completely misremembering. Um but yeah, his last snap was uh eleven forty-seven left in the fourth.
0: Okay. Uh we saw Cook for nine snaps. Of course, everybody's real happy that he got his big first run on the board. And and uh um yeah, I kind of see him as a as a more or less or a one point one for one or a one point two for one replacement of Gordon, who had a different set of problems and obviously fumbled the football and uh lost favor.
1: Yeah, and I think it's obviously a sign him because he was a high-profile player that got a lot of attention. This was the usage of him that I expected, which was no usage, really, until the game was out of reach, and that's where you kind of want to use him there. Now, another week under his belt, maybe he does see a little bit more, maybe if there is any kind of um, issue with Gus Edwards in terms of injury, but this, for as much fanfare as it got, has always felt like... A guy that, you know, realistically, unless something goes wrong, isn't seeing five touches in the game unless you have the game wrapped up in the fourth quarter.
0: You've got you've probably got his snaps in front of you right now, but what I recall is he came in once for a pony backfield in the first half. And he might have been in for one other play, but he was in for once for pony backfield where he was the lead back on a fake run right that went then left to Hill as the yep. tailback. That's what you guys have
1: that's where it was 1105 in the second quarter he lines up as like um offset fullback fakes getting the ball the ball goes to hell, and he then is not back on the field until uh 939 in the fourth um
0: okay. so it's good good to have him out there and uh, it's it, certain things make me kind of go into an octave higher of a voice. And one of them is seeing the pony backfield, pony backfield, pony backfield, kind of thing. It's, uh, <laughs> but, but seeing uh, Dalvin cook out there also was kind of interesting. And they happened to overlap and be on that, on that same play. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Hill. I have him for five pass blocking snaps. I saw you guys have him for four and you got, you, you dinged him for a pressure. I did not have him for any pressures in his, uh, in his time. What, w- w- which play was the pressure that he got charged with?
1: The pressure was on. Just look it up right now because I've got it in front of me. Uh twenty-five seconds left in the first half, so that'll be
0: one of those sacks. The
1: last, yeah, it's one of the sacks, uh, and it's just a pressure he's been charged with. Um,
0: and well, the first of those two sacks was an ATS sack. I don't think that could have been him. They they had no. to be held for three seconds, so it had to be the S minus thirteen.
1: Yeah, it's the one uh, where I think it's Desmond King's coming off in the slot. Um and it's it's kind of one of those ones that when I look at it, it's kinda of like right in the borderline because if Lamar doesn't isn't forced to drift back, then he might actually be fine. Um, so that's where that's come in. But in general, a pretty clean game overall.
0: All right, all right, fair enough. I know it doesn't add to being a good grade grade, but he's been a terrific pass blocker, I've I've thought for the Ravens this year, in particular down the stretch since uh he's been playing more with Mitchell uh gone.
1: Yeah, I'm not uh, I, I'm obviously not happy that um Mitchell got hurt but I, I do like the fact that Hills being appreciated for the fact that he's just a good solid player. You know, not going to be a guy who's going to go lead the league in rushing or anything like that, but solid runner, solid pass blocker, like does a lot of stuff you want him to do. Good special teamer um when he's been there as well in the past. So, good player that's getting a bit more of a um prominent role, which is nice to see.
0: I I I'm loving it. And you know, the Ravens came into the season with four real speed players on this team, flowers, DuVernay Mitchell and Hill. And they early in the year. It was disturbing how much flowers was the sole speed weapon that they were really willing to use. Uh, they had DuVernay back. And by the way, that that's one of the things I want to talk about is DuVernay getting zero snaps in this game. It was one of the minor disappointments I had, especially when you got the game one in the fourth quarter, Bring him in. Put a couple things on tape for the for the next team to see. I did wonder if that was maybe
1: like a let's not risk injury. Like is he, you know, how how all the way back is he? Do they maybe not want to put him out there when the game's won and, you know, risk anything there?
0: Could be. That could be, because they they're definitely they're out of slots at this point. They they only have the one for Andrews. Uh uh let's see, Ricard back on the field for 37 plays, and he'd had a really short game against Pittsburgh, a dozen or so plays as I recall it. Um, despite the fact that that Mason was only in there for one play. Um, but but it's always a good sign when your fullback is out there for a lot of plays and you're trying to close out a game.
1: Yeah, and I think twenty-four were in the twenty-four were in the second half. And I think he actually had what, like four or five that were actually true fullback snaps. My my big gripe this year, as you'll know, because we talked about it, is the way uh, players are tagged position wise, means that formation wise and personnel wise, the Ravens. When I look it up, it actually isn't true, and I've got to actually go in and work out some numbers myself because uh, Ricards lined up as a tight end. Uh, but I think thirty-seven, I think ties the season high for him, or if not, it's, it's wow. pretty close to his season high in snaps.
0: Um, that would I, have been I, low average for last year. <laughs> yes, yeah. I
1: I think it's something though that um, Todd Munkin deserves a lot of credit for in terms of how he's used him. It was the one when I looked ahead before the season at all his stops throughout college in the NFL as an offensive coordinator. He's very good at adapting to the talent he has, but I just didn't see how he was going to adapt to the talent of a fullback. And essentially how he's done it is said, no, you're actually going to play tight end. Um, and it's just the amount of times this season that you see a good Ravens run and you go and you look at the play on tape and, Ricard has some positive impact on the play um, so you know I, I know tone setter isn't really an analytics term but I think there is something to be said for for what Ricard brings in that sense
0: yeah I, I hope he's a player that'll still be with the Ravens next year but obviously they're going to be scrimping for money and it may be a case where you know he's a, he'll be in the last year of his deal and it's a few million they can save um, they might try and do it or they may go in cheap this would be an 80-20 kind of situation I hope it's one where Ricard is kept Um, particularly if this team is close to as good as they were this year. They can't, they're not going to be as good as they were this year, but if they're, if they're, if they're close, you know, you'd like them to have Ricard.
1: Yeah. The interesting thing will be, uh, so they've used Charlie Kohler a lot as a run blocker. And I do wonder next season, if, uh, if it is that 80-20 thing on Ricard for buy, they decide that they can, they can save some money there. Uh, Kohler be the primary Blocking tight end, and then the combination of Andrews and
0: uh, Likely as the receiving guys. Do you think the Ravens might go through the process again of finding that defensive lineman that they think has the good mobility to play fullback from the UDFA crowd? It would be interesting to see if they did because I don't know that it's
1: something that you necessarily need in a Todd Monken offense, but it worked out well for them, and they've you know they've looked at similar things in the past. So they, I think they've been a team that's been willing to like move players around and um, you know not not be tied to where a player played in college I mean there was whether or not it was anything serious there was talk of Ricard being a um, interior offensive lineman at one point in the yep. preseason so yep. um, I think that probably speaks to how highly is regarded by the team
0: that, that was a that was a very interesting few days there it wasn't it really didn't last long and you kind of knew they weren't ever really serious about it but but it was uh it was interesting to have that happen yeah uh, and we never got we never got a live fire on that we never saw him play in a preseason game for example it was only at camp that they were they were looking at that yep uh talking about the receivers for a little bit now snaps were divided flowers uh 56 snaps bateman 44 aguilar 32. A little bit surprising to some people that Beckham only played 20 snaps. Is an indicator of health? Where What do you toss that?
1: I was surprised as well because it was one, the two things that I felt most confident in heading into the playoffs were, one, Lamar's going to run the ball more because there's better payoff and less risk in running in the playoffs effectively. Whereas I think that, you know, partly during the season, you don't want it to get hurt. Feel like maybe the training wheels come off and you let them run because you're less scared about it. And the other was that I thought Beckham would be heavily featured and they targeted him early on. And I was like, here we go, this is going to be a big Godell Beckham game. But then in the second half, it, it felt like they went heavier in the second half, and that's where I think he just, yeah, you know, he wasn't the fit there. Um, in that sense, but I, I still think if they if they do go on win these next two games. It just feels like at some point there's still one one Odell Beckham game left.
0: Okay, in the, of the next two. That'd be yes. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we would love to see it, and uh, and and certainly uh, you, you get to the Super Bowl any way you can. But I, I'm I I am you know, in the middle on, on Odell Beckham, and I know people a lot of people think I'm a Beckham hater, and I I hated the signing at the price. Okay. And I hate, you know, there's another component I really hate. I hate all the ridiculous over people who had, you know, Le- Odell getting a thousand yards, twelve hundred yards, fourteen hundred yards. I mean, it just, it's, it's so difficult to hear, you know, the, 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 that kind of stuff. But on the other hand, Odell Beckham has done some nice things for this team, and he's been an anti-hero. He's drawn a bunch of penalties. He probably has some things that that um, have been good in terms of teaching players. Although I'm really not privy to that, and I think it's easy to overstate how much players do for other players without hearing it from another player who's being taught directly uh, do you do, do you agree with that statement by the way do you think that there's there's some of that that any veteran player is given credit for being a useful guy in the clubhouse to go to
1: yeah especially especially when they are signed it feels like the default thing for like oh this guy is going to be good for the young players at this position and maybe it is i'm just you know i just never i just never see it i do I, I don't know if this is i don't know if this is accurate or not but like it feels like odell where I, and, and again i'm like you the 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 price at the time of signing was not something i was a massive fan of but <laughs> it it does feel like he does have his finger on the pulse in terms of like the mentality and the vibes around this team. Like it feels like, like at the end of the game when Lamar's being interviewed and Odell comes up and he's hyping him up, like a lot of the stuff that um, has uh, haunted his career in terms of opinion is this kind of diva mentality. He is not a featured receiver in Baltimore. He is, you know, going through games where he gets a couple of targets, if that, and is still very happy to be around and is still hyping other people up. So that that's the thing that I think can sometimes go um, unnoticed when, rather than it being frustrated that you're not receiving enough of the ball, he's actually doing his bit to to keep hyping everyone up.
0: That's that's definitely positive. We saw a lot of that from Mark Ingram, who was getting the ball plenty in 2019 and and was a terrific uh, offensive leader. I, I, I'm sure you've seen this, but do you remember the old Joe Flacco and Ray Rice? Trying to make Joe Flacco a leader cartoon. It's like Sports Friends or something. It was called.
1: No, I don't think I did see if that.
0: If you have never seen that, oh man, <laughs> you need to go out on, on YouTube and watch that. Uh, I, I'd almost like to watch you watch it right now, but we're not going <laughs> to we're not going to take five minutes to do it. It's absolutely hilarious. It's it's Joe. Uh, sorry, Ray Rice comes to Joe Flacco and tries to get Joe Flacco to be the leader of the Ravens. And, and and the guy who's playing Joe Flacco is absolutely hilarious doing it. And, and Joe Flacco's first response to it, hey, that sounds like a great idea. We do need a leader. Let's get Anquan Bolden. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really good. From that era, if, if there's anybody else who's too young to remember that, because it has been about 10 years now, uh, it's called Sports Friends. And look for Sports Friends, Joe Flacco, Ray Rice on YouTube. One of the funniest things you'll ever watch.
1: I'll look it up once we
0: get yeah. done. All right. Uh, Isaiah Likely uh, on an amazing run right now, 11.5 yards per target over these seven games. I I, I keep having to frame that up for people because no Ravens receivers ever had 11.5 yards per target over 31 target regular season or or over a 25 target regular season, over a 20 target regular season. Um, The the highest ever was Andrews at 11.04 in his rookie year. Um, It is a remarkable run that he's on right now.
1: Just a really really good receiver um like I, I i don't know if this is a hot take at all but it does feel like when mark andrews is healthy the ravens probably have two of the top 10 receiving tight ends in the nfl um and it, it, one of my biggest frustrations of the year is that we didn't see the two of them together enough and it wouldn't really wouldn't surprise me if that winds up being um the off-season plan if if todd monk and doesn't wind up with a head coaching job, which I don't think he will. I think he'll mm-hmm. still be here next year. Wouldn't really surprise me to see him build more of a uh, two tight end offense next year.
0: Yeah, yeah, it would not surprise me either. And they really they need to make room for him, regardless. If, if uh, let's say we're not we're not going to see a large change in scheme these next two weeks, which means we see some inline play from tight ends, probably from Ricard primarily, and we see Andrews and likely back on the field. What do you think is the 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 way that the Ravens will? utilize both of them
1: I, I tried to almost war game this out earlier and i think what happens is i think you see uh charlie kohler's usage drop down possibly to the point of non-existent possibly not even being active uh ricard takes the run block and snaps there and likely stays in the role he's in now and mark andrews takes the charlie kohler receiving snaps and that's not that's not in the sense of like I think Isaiah likely is a better player than Mark Andrews he's coming back off a a very serious injury that I think realistically no one really expected him to be back this season so I think you probably want him at least in that first game back if he is back this week in like a limited role whereby you know it's it's a handful of snaps so he replaces Charlie Cole as a receiver Ricard does as a full back and likely just sticks with the role he's in because if it's not broke don't try and fix it
0: you have two weeks off after this next game to try and get Andrews a little more healthy. Um, and and hopefully he can take even a, even a slightly larger role. But I, I'm with you. I think a pitch count role, or a rotational role could work. I think even you might even... It's always nice to have rested players. I really always like running fresh legs into the game to go against um defensive backs who have to play hard play after play even even when they have to play zone defense they have to make some quick movements they get winded watch for the defensive backs who have their hands on their hips you know who's tired um and it's it's not a a, a, it's a non-trivial number of them you know uh it's not as hard as rushing the passer play after play but it's definitely something where you know fresh legs really help A, a few years ago um Houston beat SMU coming back from the death penalty in college football, 95 to 21. Don't know if you know some of the history of this. It's goes this game goes probably back to about 1990 now, but Andre Ware, I always say DeMarcus Ware, but DeMarcus Ware is the pass rusher. Andre Ware, I believe, was Mm -hmm. the quarterback for Houston at the time. Houston topped a 1,000 yards in the game. And uh, (laughs) um, uh, they kept, the entire game, they kept running on fresh receivers every play, against an injured group of SMU backs who are all freshmen and sophomores because they're coming back the year after a death penalty. Yep. And uh, very unappreciated situation. <laughs> but but it makes you think, you know, can, could it really work to, to be running fresh receivers on play after play?
1: Yeah. And the, other, the only other thing I'll say about Isaiah Likely is he gets a lot of credit for uh, his athleticism, things like that. I think what we saw on uh, Saturday as well was... Like the football IQ he has. And everyone's seen the clip now whereby the the near interception, which was actually a really good play by Jalen Petrie, yep. that he he breaks away from something, could have got a pick. Wasn't a wasn't a horrible decision by Lamar, I don't think. It was a really good play by him, and it just slipped through his hands. But likely after that play, just gave him a signal of like a little bit higher next time. And then yep. that's when they did the um the fake QB sweep toss it up there and let him win it and and again to that play as well when we talk about Lamar Jackson in the running game and the impact that has being a defensive back and you can see it on that play if you watch it on the all 22 the the defensive is trying to cover Isaiah Likely has to have a couple of glances at the sweep by Lamar Jackson so just the threat that he can run the ball and that you might have to break and try and make a tackle towards the goal line just that little bit of mental Exhaustion, then the ball comes up, and Isaiah Light was just able to go and win it. So, really nice play all round.
0: Yeah, frustrating. All they can do is kind of throw their hands up after a play like that, and you, you certainly see emoting from that from that Texans defense. Gordon, such a pleasure to talk football with you for an hour, and we got another hour to go. We hope. uh Tell folks where they can find your work online, or or, or talk to you if they have a football question or a question about PFF.
1: Yeah, you'll find me. Uh, Twitter X is known these days, pff underscore Gordon, and you'll find uh anything I'm writing on pff.com
0: One of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. If you've got a question about how pff scored something, uh most of the time he'll ask it, answer it for you. I've never had any any problem with that. And uh and I always direct uh, people to him because he's such a such a good guy to to talk to about that. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. We got a two-week Period coming off, or maybe longer than that. Unfortunately, but it could be two weeks before the Super Bowl. If you have Super Bowl content, hit me up quickly. I'll try and get you scheduled. If you have content for the off season, even stuff that has multiple episodes to it, hit me up with that. If you have ideas for episodes where you don't want to do it, but you think I'd like to hear what you have to say about this, toss those my way too. I'll try and find somebody who wants to talk about it, even if you're uh, a little bit camera shy or a little bit microphone shy, and and that's fine. Uh, Gordon. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you very much. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.
1: Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight
2: gain.